This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, hamdin kathiran wa tayyiban mubarakan fi. Wa salawatullahi wa salamu ala nabiyyina al-ameen wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Amma ba'du. Come to a tremendous hadith today as it relates to the book, the da'wah and the du'at, the call and the caller. This particular hadith breaks down for us from the words of the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, authentic hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim. The three components that are important for a person to understand as it relates to da'wah. Those three components that the da'wah consists of, first of all, the da'i, the one who's given the da'wah. So whoever is educating and they're calling people to whatever they call them to, that's one of the components. So that da'i has to have certain characteristics. Certain things have to be there. And then the second component that comes to us from this hadith is the da'wah itself. What is the person calling to? Is he calling to khurafat? Is he calling to that which is beneficial? Is he calling to that which is destructive? So this hadith shows us the importance of that. And then the third component and the final one is the issue of al-mad'u, the one who is being called. So you have the one who's doing the calling, and then you have the one who he is giving da'wah to, the mad'u. And then you have the third component, and that is, what are you giving da'wah to? What are you calling to? What are you calling people to and talking to people about? So this hadith is the hadith of, again, Abdullah ibn Abbas, and may Allah be pleased with him and his father. Who said that the Prophet ﷺ wanted to send Mu'adh ibn Jabal to Al-Yemen to give them da'wah. So first thing we have to mention about that is Abdullah ibn Abbas is a scholar from the youngsters, from the companions, anhu. Also, Mu'adh ibn Jabal is a personality that you, ya Abdullah, ya Muslim, you should know something about this person. This says, you know something about Abu Bakr, Marathman, Ali. You know something about Khadija, Aisha. You know something about Abu Huraira. This is an individual who should not pass under your scholastic radar. He will be your Mulkiyama, the one who holds the flag, and all of the scholars will be behind him. The Prophet said about Mu'adh ibn Jabal, may Allah be pleased with him that he's the most knowledgeable about the halal and the haram from the companions. So, this is important. So, Abdullah ibn Abbas said that the Nabi was sending Mu'adh ibn Jabal to go to give the Yemenis people da'wah ilallah. Da'wah Allah. It should be understood that in Yemen, during that time, they had a lot of people from Ahlul Kitab. And that's another word Ibara, we should know as Muslims, Ahlul Kitab. If you ask someone, who is Ahlul Kitab? The person shouldn't say Ahlul Kitab, the people of the Quran. No, it's not the people of the Quran. Ahlul Kitab are the Yahud and the Nasara because Allah gave them books before Prophet Muhammad came, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Yahud had the Torah and the, uh, the, Nasara had the Injil, so they are Ahlul Kitab. The companion Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, he said that whenever the Prophet wanted to send someone out for da'wah, to send them somewhere, just like this hadith, he sent Mu'adh to Al-Yemen, Rasulullah would prepare the person and give him advice and give him a wasiyah. Where you going and who you're going to, that's from his sunnah. And that's what this hadith is all about. And that's from the sunnah of Allah as well throughout the Qur'an. With different prophets, with different messengers. Salawatullahi wa salamu And Surah Al-Taha, Allah Ta'ala mentioned to Musa, as well as his brother Harun, to go to Fir'aun because 
he went overboard and he exceeded the limits. So you two have to go to Fir'aun. And then Allah Ta'ala began to explain to them what to do, how to get down, what's going on. فَقُولَا لَهُ قَوْلًا لَيِّلًا لَعَلَّهُ يَتَذَكَّرْ أَوْ يَخْشَى When you two go to Fir'aun, say to him a soft word, an easy word, in the hopes that he'll remember, he'll reflect, and then he'll be fearful of Allah. So in the hadith of today, Mu'adh ibn Jabal is the one who's going to give da'wah. So the Prophet ﷺ is sending him and preparing him and educating him what is he about to do and who is he going to deal with. Like Allah did in that ayat. You are about to go to Fir'aun and he went overboard. He's a terrible person. But when you go to him, take it easy. Talk to him in a nice way. Both of that, of what we've mentioned so far, all shows the importance of the da'i and the da'wah and the one you're giving da'wah to. Mu'adh ibn Jabal, he wasn't ignorant when he was going to those people. Prophet Muhammad didn't send the brand spanking new Muslim who accepted Islam last week, last month, two months ago, three months ago. And the people in there tell him, look, you made khuruj, just get up and talk, it'll come. No. Ibrahim is not ignorant. Musa is not ignorant. When they go to the, give dawah to the people, Ibrahim went to give dawah. And he had to know who he was giving dawah to as well. And you have to know what you're giving dawah to. How to give dawah, what's the condition of the people? If you don't know the reality of the people, you're going to have problems. We mentioned last week, and we mentioned before that, and we'll mention again, inshallah. That man who killed 99 people, and he wanted to make toba and ask the people, guide me to the one who would tell me. And he sent it to the ignorant person. He said, can I make toba? He said, no, he killed them. That man is the da'i. And the murderer is the madru. He's the one who is in need of the dawah. You better know who you're dealing with. Are they educated? Are they people who can read and write? Are they arrogant? Are they argumentative? So don't go into the place and you have no clue and no idea about who you're dealing with. Because when you do that, more times than not, you're going to spoil your dowry. You're going to spoil the opportunity. So now in this case, the Prophet ﷺ said, to Mu'adh ibn Jabal, as used to say to the people before. And another hadith is going to come to us. Another hadith, inshallah. Abu Musa al-Ash'ari said he prepared. Anytime he sent someone out for dawah, he would prepare them. He would say to them, Bashiru wala tunafiru, yassiru wala ta'asiru. Go and give dawah and give the people glad tidings. Say good things to them. And make things easy for them. And don't go and make things difficult and make them run away. So the point here is, the dawah is in that nasiha, in that wasiyah. And also, and also, also, in, a, in addition to that, him telling the people, when you go give dawah, be gentle, be easy, don't run them away, take it easy. So Abdullah ibn Abbas said that the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told this companion, Mu'adh ibn Jabal, You're about to go to some people from Ahlul Kitab. So make the very first thing you invite them to when you go to this new country, to this new land, this foreign land. You're going with the message of Islam. Kuffar. But they're a bit different. They're not like the polytheists of Medina and Mecca. These people have had exposure to kitabs, to knowledge. You're going to go to a group of people from Anul Kitab. Yehud and Nasara. They're there. They're there. For your information, when the Prophet sent Mu'ad there, and Mu'ad stayed there giving da'wah to those people. After some years passed, Rasulullah went to perform Hajj. 
and Mu'adh ibn Jabal being in Yemen, which is not too far from Mecca. He went to meet Rasulullah in Mecca. When they arrived and they met each other for the first time after Rasulullah told him these words and sent them, he hadn't sent them for years. Mu'adh ibn Jabal bowed down and made sajda on the ground to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He's a scholar, not just a scholar. He's the most knowledgeable of the halal and haram from the companions. He'll hold the flag up, Yomul Qiyamah, people will be behind him from the ulama. Rasulullah didn't send an ignorant person for our brothers from Jamaat Tabliq. It's not from our religion, just going out there, someone just getting up, just talking. It's not our religion. Not once, and you're talking about you want to do the kitab and the sunnah, not once did the Messenger of Allah send an ignorant person for da'wah. And when I say ignorant, I don't mean that in a condescending way. He's a brand spanking new Muslim. He just accepted that. So Muadh has all that knowledge. When the Prophet came and he met him, Muadh made sajda. Rasulullah said, Ya Muadh, what are you doing? Muadh said, Ya Rasulullah, this is what the people do here in Yemen. The people from Ahlul Kitab, this is from what they do. When someone comes that they respect, they mean sajda. Out of respect, like Yusuf's brothers, like Yusuf and them did to his father and his mother. That's in their religion. It was allowed in their religion. So it's like us making sajda towards the Qibla, towards the Kaaba. None of us are praying towards the rock. No one is praying in his mind. He's glorifying the rock. We're praying in that direction. So in the story of Yusuf, they all bowed down. The interpretation of the dream, 11 stars, sun and the moon, they all bowed down. Because that was from their religion. Prophet Muhammad told Muad, don't do that. Don't do that in our religion. If I were to order anyone to make sajda to some other person, I'd have ordered the wife to make sajda to her husband. But even she can't do that. Sajda is only for a lot. So I want to make a side point very quickly, and that is anybody here who does martial arts, mixed, mixed martial arts, whatever, never bow down and never make sajda to nobody, to anybody. It may be the practice of the people in the Orient, Chinese people, other than that, out of respect, that's not our religion. Also, another thing is the emoji. Some people, when they give salams, they send back salams like praying, like salam. That's not our prayer. It's not our salams. It's not the salams of Islam. We don't pray like this in Islam. Jews and Christians pray like that. There's an emoji that does like that. Can you do that? Allahu alam. But don't do this one right here. That's the one I'm, that's the point I'm talking about. So with Mu'adh ibn Jabal making sajda to the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he's from the scholars, that goes to show. Everybody make mistakes. There's no scholar today greater than Mu'adh ibn Jabal. And look at the mistake that he made. One that entails kufr and shirk. But he did it, and it was an innocent, honest mistake. But now someone can sit and say, but how? How can he do that? Because anybody can make a mistake for different reasons. Ta'wil, khata, ijbar, for anything. So the point here is, just as we mentioned, if Allah Ta'ala told Musa to go to Fir'aun and to say to him a soft word, be gentle and easy with Fir'aun, then what about the people who are lesser than Fir'aun? That statement goes to show the asal and the dawah is to be gentle and easy with everybody. And this issue about Mu'adh ibn Jabal, he made a mistake. Anybody can make a mistake. Your sheikh can make a mistake. My sheikh can make a mistake. The greatest scholar can make a mistake. And now we're a group of people who are afraid to say the sheikh is tripping. What he's doing is not right. And this is not our dawah that we see being displayed here. We don't have Don Corleone Minhaj in El Islam. I got to enforce me? Nope. Any and everybody make mistakes. Yeah, You're going to Ahlul Kitab. Make the very first thing you invite them to is... And you wahidullah, that you make them 
make the Tawheed of Allah, the Tawheed of Allah. And this is where the word Tawheed comes from. It was used in this ayah or this hadith. The very first thing you call them to is to worship Allah alone and not to make shik with Allah. Now if they accept that from you, Mu'adh, if they accept that, don't move on to the next point until they accept that. If they comprehend that, they accept it, they do it, they embrace it, then after that tell them Allah has made the salat wajib upon them every day, five times a day. You have to pray five times every day. There are five prayers that are wajib. And if they accept that, they obey you in that, they accept it, they embrace it, they can get their heads around that, then you let them know about the zakat. That Allah Ta'ala They got to pay for that zakat from their money. And then he explained that money is taken from the rich, those who have money for zakat. And rich here doesn't mean rich, rich, rich. It's enough. He has 2,000 pounds. He should pay zakat on that two grand. 3,000, 4,000 pounds. He should pay 2.5% on that money if he had that for a whole year. Doesn't have to have one million trillion pounds, two thousand, three thousand pounds, you pay zakat on that. Take that zakat from them, those who have the money, and distribute it amongst those from them who don't have the money. And then he told them, beware of, beware of, beware of the best money of the people though. Don't take the best money that they have to offer. Don't take that. Beware of that. And in another narration, he mentions sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that wasn't brought today in the book. He told the people, and fear the dua of the oppressed. Ya Mu'adh, you're going to give dawah in a place. And in that place, you're the judge. When they start accepting Islam, they're going to come to you. And when they come to you, you're going to have to judge in their situations so don't oppress the people in your judgments, Mu'adh, because the dua of the one who was oppressed, da'i, the dua, is accepted. I want to repeat that again. He told Mu'adh, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, وَاتَّقِ دَعْوَةَ الْمَظْلُومِ فَإِنَّهُ لَيْسَ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ حِجَابِ Ya da'i, beware of the dua of the oppressed. Why would he tell Mu'adh that? Because that kanam is too mu'ad. You're going to go there, you're giving dawah. You can oppress the people in many ways. You render judgment, that's not good. You render judgment and someone grease your palms, give you money, they pay you off. And you give the judgment against someone because you're scared of the one who has power or ability. It can be many things. It can be what you talk about from that member. You get up on this member and you start talking about things to people. Your dawah is for a group of Martians on Mars. These people right here on planet Earth, man, what are you talking about? That kanam of yours right now is oppressive. And then when something happens, the mother of the boy is going to make dua for you. Going to make dua against you because his son, her son went and did something because of what you were saying, so what you were doing. So that's today's hadith, tremendous hadith, ikhwani, as it relates to the book. The book again, Ad-Dawah wa duat the call and the callers. And then we want to add on to that as well, and the ones who are being called and invited. Those are the three anasir of Ad-Dawah, three components that are critical. So as it relates to the explanation of the hadith, I think the hadith for the most part is self-explanatory but there are some highlights that we have to mention in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas this is critical for those of you and I see brothers in the audience who are students of knowledge some studying in Medina and other than that people want to study in Medina you may be studying somewhere else you're busy giving doubts your parents your relatives neighbors your friends and so forth on in the internet other than that when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam told muadh ibn jabal you're going to a people from al-kitab 
it is very clear, it is very clear that his sunnah is to take precautions and not to throw caution to the wind and just go and do things haphazardly, especially a da'wah Allah. It should be organized. And when I say organized, I don't mean by any tanzim of a jama'ah, but it shouldn't be ashwa'i, just all over the place. However it goes, let it all hang out. No, he prepared them. Know who you're dealing with. Because that will help you to practice the ayat of the Qur'an, Ud'u ila sabili rabbika bil hikmati. Call to the way of your Lord with wisdom. You know what to say, what not to say. You know, I'm not from Afghanistan, but I've dealt with people from Afghanistan in different shapes, forms, and fashion. If you're going to go into a masjid where the people are predominantly Afghani, you have to understand that dynamic. You go into a masjid of a group of Muslims, and in that masjid, wherever they happen to be, they hold Al-Imam Malik in high esteem. And they may be doing things that are on the Malik Madhab that may be incorrect. You don't go into that masjid with your guns blazing, figuratively speaking, blowing everything out of the water, especially in the beginning. Everything is, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And in addition to that, the people, they're not educated. They don't know about the religion. So when they hear you telling them, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, they understand you're attacking their father and their father's father and the whole village. That's what they understand. And your understanding of their bad response to you is, they don't love the sunnah. I love the sunnah and they don't. No. Has a lot to do with you didn't use hikmah. Maybe the hikmah in this case is for you to learn something about the Hanafi Medhat. So that you can know how to deal with the people. Some people will say, that's Tamir. Because they want to go in here where the guns are blazing. I said, maybe that's what you want to do. You want to do. Know the background of the people. I want to ask you a question that is... Why throughout the Qur'an, we don't find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sending angels to human beings to give them da'wah, except that the angels took the form of the human beings. Why do you think? As Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا بِلِسَانِ قَوْمِهِ لِيُبَيِّنَ لَهُمْ We never sent any messenger Except that he came speaking the language of his people. Because the da'i has to have some kind of connection with the one who's being called to. Allah doesn't send the jinn to the human beings. Doesn't happen. The mala'ika come. If the mala'ika came down, it's done. It's done. The mala'ika come in the form of human beings. They come in the form of human beings. So that the people can relate to them. Rasulullah himself, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he came to his people, he didn't come as a stranger. He practiced a lot of the adat and taqalid. So that when he came, no one was able to say, used to be a thief, used to do this, used to do that. They said, we know you as Muhammad al-Amin. We already know you. And he came respecting a lot of the things that they were upon. His wives, all of them, without a, an exception. All of his wives are women of nobility. All of them. Because that was what men of power did back then. He didn't go and marry a slave girl. He didn't go marry a slave like that. No. He came and he was doing things that the people looked at him and they did not oppose him because he was doing something different other than those aspects of his da'wah that we're going to come to inshallah so the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his brothers from the prophets and the messengers sallallahu alayhi as well as us we have to be relatable to the people now listen one of you comes from your people and you go back for an example. I think the best example that I can give is more of an Arab country. Let's say Kuwait as an Arab country. A person in Kuwait, if you would just imagine this, he starts to practice his religion. And then he wants to wear Islamic clothes. He starts to wear the Afghani clothes. 
amongst his people. The Afghani clothes are Islamic, and it's the clothes of Muslims. Anybody around the world said those clothes are Afghani. But him wearing those clothes in his environment, and he wants to give dawah, is not a good idea. This issue of the kunya, Abu Usama, there are places in the Arab world where you sh it's, you're probably better advised not to use a kunya. Because to them, in their mind, the kunya is the one who's connected to Daesh, ISIS. So it may not be wise for people who are giving dawah to even use the kunya. Not out of fear, not out of fear or dislike of the sunnah, because of hikmah, the people in the community. If you say, what's your name? And he says, Abu Sam. He said, now what's your name? Because that's your kunya. And right away he gets his back up against the wall because you use the kunya. And where they're coming from and what they're dealing with, that's his understanding. So, the da'i has to have enough sense to know how to deal with the people. To deal with them. So with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sallama giving this advice to Mu'adh ibn Jabal, it's important for us to understand this. So I want to give a special advice to our brothers, our brothers. Listen, when you study overseas, it's beautiful. The environment is beautiful. But when you come back over here, don't come back over to your host country. Whoever's listening to me, don't come back to your host country where you come from. You studied in Egypt, don't bring Egypt back here. You studied in Yemen, don't come and superimpose Yemen on the community in the masjid. You study in Saudi Arabia, don't come back and superimpose Saudi Arabia on the masjid and on the community. Don't do that. That's going to be a fitna. Verily, you're going to people from Ahlul Kitab. Make the first thing that you call to them to, Ya Mu'ab, and you invite them to it, is that they make the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So whatever knowledge you get, you have to somehow, some way, find the ability to make that knowledge transferable to the community that you find yourself in. And we'll give you another example of that, inshallah, after we explain the next point. And the next point is, he told them what to call to. Make the first thing you invite the people to is the Tawheed of Allah Azawajal. The Tawheed of Allah. I have to say this because it's the truth. Tawheed is the cornerstone and is the pinnacle aspect of our religion. People who give khidmah to the Tawheed, people who service a Tawheed, called to it, protected it, died for it, lived for it, lived with it, and they were from the Barizin. I look at all of you people here and I think that all of you are on Tawheed. But there are some people more famous for Tawheed than you. For an example, Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab is a person who, not masoom, and I'm not of those people who if you criticize him correctly, they feel it's sacrilegious. If you say something about him, and you may be right, you may be wrong, but just the mere mentioning some people is on some other stuff. Don't superimpose your stuff on the people. Now everybody in his mind, in his right mind knows the man has given khidmah to a tawheed. The book, Kitab al-Tawheed. Anybody giving dawah, any Muslim who has read that book, he says, wow, this book is not perfect, but this is an easily understood book with Adilla. And the issue is so important in the way it was put together. Anyone with a Qalb Salim should be able to embrace it. And we know a lot of the history of the benefit of that book. Now someone comes, listen to me, someone comes and someone says, I won't take anything from him, nothing, not even the creed. I say, there's a problem there. There's something going on there. I don't say that it's wajib, that you have to take him as your sheikh, you have to read his book. But not to take anything and to make the emphasis, I don't take anything. No, the man puts something that is from our religion. And the haq is the dhadatul mu'min. The haq, it is the property of the believer. Whoever he finds it, he takes it. Whoever he finds it with, he takes it. 
He finds it with a woman. He finds it with someone younger than him. He finds it with someone from another culture. He finds it with a poor person, a non-Muslim, a Jewish person. Whoever he finds it, he finds the truth with his oppressor. It's his property. Whoever and wherever he finds it. He found the haft in the bottle. It's the haft is his property. He's never going to say, I'm not going to take it because it's coming from you. No. So what if someone is given the haq of the most, and this is the point, he is given the information and spreading the information to this ummah about the most important issue that the Prophet would tell his companions, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, make the first thing you call them to is al-kalimah, that is a tawheed, the kalimah of a tawheed. It is the haq of Allah, the rights that Allah has over his servants, that they don't make shik with him. And if they don't make shift with him, they'll go to Jannah. No matter what other things that they do, as long as they don't make shift with Allah, they will go to Jannah. Somebody receives service that, we're going to say, hey, we're going to support them. And we're not going to be opponents to people who are trying to educate the community to a Tawheed. And this is what we have today with a lot of people, with a lot of people. People are trying to call the community and educate the community about the importance of la ilaha illallah. And you make that person an enemy and make them preoccupied with your stuff. So the Nabi of Islam, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in this hadith, showed the importance of a tawheed. And it's not okay for any person who's given dawah to be afraid to buy into the need. Because this is the way of the prophets and the messengers. And this is the minhaj. The prophet sallallahu in this hadith right here. Yarsum lana minhajin. He is drawing for us a minhaj. And I'm sure you guys heard that word before many times. Allah Ta'ala mentioned in the Quran that he has made a sharia and a minhaj for every nation. For every nation that went before. جَعَلْنَا بِكُلِّ مِنْكُمْ شِرْعَةٍ وَمِنْهَاجًا We made a sharia, halal and haram, and we made a minhaj. What's the minhaj? The way you go about doing something, the path. So the path of da'wah in al-Islam is, you start off by calling my mother, my relatives, to the tawheed of Allah Azawajal, who Allah is. Because everything else after that is secondary. Everything else after that doesn't deserve that you put focus on it and you put it over the Tawheed of Allah. Why would the Prophet tell his companion that? Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alayhi wa sallam. Why? The Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told his companions, I'm going to give the flag of jihad to a man who loves Allah and he loves, Allah loves him. He loves Allah and his messenger and Allah and his messenger love him. And then the next day all the companions were sitting there hoping that Rasulullah would give them the flag. And they were sitting like you're sitting. Umar said, I got on my knees so that I could look bigger, so the Prophet could see me above everybody, he chose me. But the Prophet looked around and said, where's Adi ibn Abi Talib? They said, Ya Rasulullah, he has something in his eyes, he didn't come out, he's not feeling well. He said, go and get him. We ain't got him, he came. He blew spit in his eye. The barakah of his spittle, by Allah's permission, gave Ali the shifa, Allah al-shafi, shafahu. He said, here's the flag from the virtues of Ali. He said, I'm going to give the flag to someone who loves Allah and his messenger. Allah and his messenger love him. Here's the flag. Now go and fight. Ali went and don't turn around. Ali went, got on his horse. He started traveling and he stopped the horse. He didn't look back with his neck. He didn't turn the horse back like that. He said, Ya Rasulullah, what should I fight them for? What, what should I fight them on? And he was looking straight in obedience. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told him to fight them until La ilaha illallah reigns supreme. And then someone's going to come now and try to make someone feel embarrassed about giving dawah to the cornerstone of the religion? What is that? What is that? As Imam Al-Awza'i said, La tastawhish, don't let your heart be afraid and be in a state of fear 
because of things like that, when you see people around you not agreeing with you or they not doing that. Especially now for you younger brothers, you millennials. Because this is not the cool thing to do. Uh, IG and all of that. The cool thing to do is TikTok and all. You know, you know what I'm talking about. The cool thing now is to play games with the Dao, gimmicks with the gout. But as for focusing on what's beneficial to the people, don't let it be something that makes you afraid. So the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sallam ordered him to do that. And we're not going to go into all of the virtues of a tohi, but there are many. Allah created the jinn and the mankind for the sole purpose of worshiping him. He subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran that he never sent a messenger before you, Ya Muhammad, except that we reveal to him that there's no God worthy of worship except Allah. So worship me. Allah said in the Quran, we sent to every ummah, every nation a messenger. Telling the messenger, the messenger was telling his people, don't worship other than Allah. Disbelieve in the tawaghid, the false deities, and worship Allah alone. Allah created the heavens and the earth because of this tawheed, the jannah and the nar because of it. He sent down the books, sent down the messengers because of it. Anyone who has intellect and he calls himself a da'i and he's not paying attention to it, it's a problem. But what does paying attention to it mean? Again, as I mentioned earlier, you're going to a group of people from Ahl al-Kitab. So where many of us learn Tawheed in this class, this class, that class, in that country, and we learn Tawheed al-Uluhiyah and Tawheed al-Rububiyah and Tawheed al-Asma' wal-Sifat. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to that environment and start saying Tawheed al-Uluhiyah. You don't have to do it like that all the time. You have to have some flexibility. When Ibrahim, salawatullahi wasalamu was giving da'wah to his community about worshiping those idols, he didn't get in front of them and say, Tawheed al-Uluhiyah al-Uluhiyah. He didn't say that. He took that axe and broke those things up and put it around the neck of the big one. That's da'wah to Tawheed. Because he said to them, the big one did it. They said, you know that big one can't talk. He said, why are you worshiping then? If you can't talk. Why, why you worship him? Ibrahim, the same thing. Alam tara ila ladhi hajja Ibrahim fi rabbihi an atahu Allahul mulk? Did you not see the one who was arguing with Ibrahim and Ibrahim was arguing with him because Allah gave him a lot of money, one of those Fir'auns during that time. If qala Ibrahim rabbi alladhi yuhyi wa yumeet, qala ana uhyi wa umeet. قال إبراهيم إن الله يأتي بشمس من المشرق فأتي بها من المغرب فبهت الذي كفر والله لا يهدي القوم الظالمين. إبراهيم said to the man, Allah is the one who gives life and death. He says, Nah, I give life and death. He said, Allah is the one who gives life and death. He said, Nah, I give life and death. He could bring someone, kill him. Bring someone else, let him go. I give life and death. Ibrahim saw, how is he thinking? He said, well, Allah is the one who brings the sun from the east and causes set in the west. If you are Allah and you the Lord, then you do the opposite. The Quran said, the one who was an oppressor went overboard, he was shut up for the most part. He was quieted. And Allah doesn't guide those who are oppressors. That's dawah to Tawheed. So the point here is, the knowledge, maybe the way you learned to hear there, you come to a class, you can give it that same exact way. Maybe, and maybe not. The point is, you have to, again, make your knowledge, make your information, make your experience accessible and relatable to the people in front of you. It is imperative the guy may memorize the Quran with seven kiraat. And he memorized all this other stuff. And the other brother, he doesn't have that much information, but he has good social skills. And he knows how to deal with people. And he even was in Jahiliyyah. But the Prophet says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the best of you in Jahiliyyah, the best of you in Islam is to understand a religion. Last week we told you that Umar, he said to the people that 
those who were born and grew up and grew up and they didn't know Jahiliyyah that the institutions, the Urah of Al-Islam will be destroyed, Urwatan Urwa. Every institution is going to be destroyed because people didn't know Jahiliyyah which would have given them a greater appreciation for Al-Islam that they had. So now the guy, no Jahiliyyah, he coming to this country, never saw Jahiliyyah. You see him knee deep in drama because he never knew it was like that. But the point here is, there's that individual who he knew Jahiliyyah, he has social skills, and he's not the most knowledgeable person. That one got a lot of knowledge, but his Tao is more effective because he knows how to relate to the people of his community that he finds himself in. And you know, you won't always find yourself, Ya Abdullah, in a community of everybody who's like you. You're in a community and there's diversity in the community. Maybe 95% of the people from where you come from, maybe not. The point is, the point is, whatever the case is, we have to take this point of the Prophet Wasallam into consideration and understand it and practice it. And if a person finds himself in a place where he's like the odd man out in terms of ethnicity, he's the odd man out. Like with the Muslims, there are people who don't like you because you're not from them. You are, for an example, we have a community of, I think only African Americans, I think we're the only people who cancel each other out. So anybody can come and be put over us. He could come on his own and come over us, or he could be put over us. He could be from Morocco, be from Sudan, wherever. We're the only people who do that. We're the only people who do that. But I will say, let's just say, you're Somali, you're Somali, and you come into a masjid, you're the imam of the masjid, they're from Pakistan. There's a lot of differences between you and them. You have to know that and consider that. And be careful the way you move, the way you deal with that community. No apologies, just hikmah, that's all. Remember the hadith of Mu'ad, the people you're going to, the people you're with. One time I went to Norway, and I was with a famous person who gives dawah here in the UK, a white brother. And he has good dawah too, alhamdulillah, especially in the past, it's much better. And in that place, we were with a Somali community. They brought us there, and that brother started talking about racism, and he made it very specific to Sudanese tribes, Somali tribes. And he was, I understood what he was trying to do, but that wasn't his job. You have to leave that sensitive issue for someone who's from those people. Someone may say, but the haq is the haq. Yeah, brother, but that's an open wound that's bigger than you, bigger than me. It's not for us to put our feet in that in arena. Even, and this is the point, even some of these younger Somali brothers shouldn't open those kind of topics up. They don't even know about it, or they didn't have to taste it the way people did before them. And all communities have those dynamics. Everybody, they have that. That's the point. I don't want anybody sitting there and they lose the point. As I said, Somali, and that's all they forget everything else. That's just an example. I'm not Somali, so I can't talk about real sensitive issues that touch their people in their country. I'm not that person. I leave that for their elders. I leave that for someone else. And when that brother did that, it was fitna in the whole car. It was big fitna. And he learned that lesson the hard way. The hard way. Verily, you're going to a group of people from Ahlul Kitab. Know what you're dealing with. This hadith also goes to show that the salah is the most important thing in terms of actions. Rasul Sallallahu described the salah as the amud of al-Islam. It is the pillar. It is the foundation of al-Islam. So if the mood is gone, then what's built upon it is gone. So if our children are not praying the salat on their own, by themselves, when you're home and when you're not home, if our kids are not doing that, their Islam is in jeopardy. If we're people who are not doing that, our Islam is in jeopardy. And the hadith also goes to show, he said, make the first thing you call them to, La ilaha illallah. If they accept that, go on to the next point, which is as-salat. The first thing that Allah Azza will ask people about Yawm Al-Qiyamah and question them about the salat. 
He said, As-salat khayrul mawdu'a. Whether the salat is the best thing that you can do. The best thing that you can do. To the point where, are you guys with me? The Prophet wasallam said that the most important issue is the issue of a tawheed. Let the people know who they're going to pray to. And get them to understand who he is and who he isn't. Where he is and where he isn't. Ask the man the simple question. How long you been in your group? 20 years. Where is Allah? Allah is everywhere. He's in my heart. He's in my thoughts. He's everywhere. You've been with them that long and you still don't know that? You still don't know that? In our community, this issue of the Tawheed of Allah is being compromised. Wallahi. By people who are some of the most famous callers and sheikhs in our ummah. So after the people get through that, we have to teach the people about the prayer, like the Prophet taught the prayer and illustrated it from the member. And the companions looked at that because he put emphasis on it. Look how important the prayer is, Ya Abdullah. He says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, as we always tell you, إِذَا دَخَلَ أَحَدُكُمْ الْمَسْجِدِ فَلَا تَجْلِسْ حَتَّى يُصَلِّيَ رَكَعَتَيْنِ If anyone from amongst you, revert, black, white, rich, woman, man, if you did it after Maghrib, if you did it, if any Muslim comes into the masjid, don't sit down until you pray two rakats. That's the importance of the salah in Al-Islam. I go into my house, there's a sunnah prayer, two rakats I can make when I go in my house, but I don't have to make them. When you come into the masjid, you have to make that prayer. So in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ told Mu'ad ibn Jabal, may Allah be pleased with him, tell them Allah has made the salat obligatory upon them, five prayers every day. Al-Fajr, Al-Dhur, Al-Asr, Maghrib, and Isha. Those are five prayers. Obligatory upon them in every day. They have to make those five. But you shouldn't misunderstand, Ya Abdullah, there are more than five prayers that are obligatory upon you. Salatul Juma is not Dhuhr, it's Juma, two rakats, and it has a khutbah. That's obligatory upon you. And if you miss three of them in a row, Allah will put a seal on your heart and make you of those people who are not cognizant from the ghafirin. You won't have ghira for your zoja, your wife anymore. You don't care about things anymore that maybe you used to care about. You won't care what your kids do, what they don't do. You've been written down from the ghafirin. I don't know a single Muslim who, if you heard the hadith, if you miss three Jumas in a row, you'll be written down from amongst the ghafirin. He doesn't worry about that, especially if his job, he really needs that job, but they're not letting him go. He's going to worry about that. Pray for a way out. I don't think any Muslims going to say, I don't know. Nobody's going to say that. Because there's no Muslim worth his weight in salt except that the salat is important to him. So again, khwani, from the importance of this prayer is that the Nabi of Al-Islam, would any of you make salat without wudu? Would anybody do that? Just intentionally pray without wudu. Would you do that? Nobody's going to do that. Also, as it relates to the prayer as well, since the Turakas is wajib upon you, the Juma is wajib upon you, the Eid prayer is wajib upon you, if a person says, if Allah does this, 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 this for me, I make another and I'm going to pray Qiyamul Layl for the rest of this month, that becomes wajib upon you. But here, the Prophet is talking about basically these five hadith, but it's not just these five hadith. Just as the beginning when he said, Make the first thing you call them to La ilaha illallah And he didn't say Muhammad Rasulullah Inshallah Anybody if you yawn in Al-Islam You got to do your best Because that happened during the time of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Someone yawned And he made that sound <sighs> Prophet Muhammad said Don't do that Why does one of you allow shaitan to laugh at you Shaitan goes inside your mouth and laughs He said trying to hold it and keep your mouth shut and cover your face if you can do it, inshallah. I'm only telling you that from Dawa. Maybe he didn't know. Maybe it's a new person. He didn't know. Maybe the person is so tired. He knew, but he's just so tired. That happens. That happens. But what we've been told to do, 
We've been told to remind each other because the remembrance benefits the believer. So the mud'u, the one who deserves a doubt, I want to ask you a question. What's your opinion if I said to the person who yawned, hey, stupid, what are you, would that be a good idea? No, that's just an example. I would never say that. Would that be a good idea? No, you don't give dawah like that. You don't give dawah like that. But now I'm faced with this issue. If I'm quiet, maybe the brother won't know and nobody will tell him. And if I address it, he may feel embarrassed. He has social anxiety. So what do I do here? I try to put across as nice as I possibly can as nice as possibly can and make it general for everybody and also let the person know the companion was better than you may Allah be pleased with him and he did that and the one who was better than me sallallahu alayhi wa sallam advised the whole community to learn from that situation and we keep it moving a dawah Allah a dawah Allah a dawah it Allah so remember those two rakat of coming into the masjid a wajib. You guys got that? Don't sit down if you come into a masjid unless you pray to rakat. And then the issue of the salat. And those two statements of the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they clearly show and indicate things in al-Islam have priorities. You give dawah to things that are important, most important, and then lesser and lesser and lesser. So now I'm going to give dawah. A lot of things I can start off with that are important. For an example, Birwadi Dane is important. Uh, jihad, correct jihad is important. Economic uh, independence is important. Politics is important. And these things that I'm mentioning, I'm talking about these things in the Islamic way. Not in the Western way that brings all the confusion to our community. All of these things are important. But they're all secondary to the most important issue. And that is... La ilaha illallah. As it relates to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam being the messenger of Allah, the Sheikh brings that next week, inshallah, because we already did it in the previous hadith. He said, "I have left you those two things. If you hold on to them, you'll never go astray." The Book of Allah, my Sunnah. But today here he's mentioning only Tawheed of Allah, Salat and Zakat, and that's it. The Bedouin came, the man came, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I make halal, halal, haram, haram. I pray five times a day. I give a fast in the month of Ramadan, and I don't do anything else. I go to Jannah. He said, yes. He didn't mention Hajj. He didn't mention all of that. But you know, by the time that the Prophet died, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, there are five pillars. So the Sheikh... He wanted to, to emphasize this issue, rahmatullah alayhi, about the Prophet being the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam next week, in next week's hadith. So it comes as the mukammil to this particular hadith. So in terms of the rest of the hadith, the rest of the hadith, ikhwani, has a lot of fiqh ahkam to it and adab. And that's not what this class is about. And Imam al-Bukhari brought this hadith in different places, in the chapter of Zakat, in the chapter of At-Tawheed, he brought it, and you get, he made a stambat from the hadith for different reasons. So here, in the chapter of Salat, he brought it, that Salat is obligatory five times a day. So now is not, we're not getting into all of that. But the last part, he said, and then if they pray, tell them that they have to give Zakat. The zakat is going to be taken from the rich and given to their poor, distributed to their poor. First thing, Ikhwani, as it relates to zakat, zakat is from the Muslims to the Muslims. From the Muslims to the Muslims. The non-Muslims who can receive the zakat from the eight categories of the people who Allah called them al-mu'allifa kulubuhum. Those non-Muslims who are inclined to Islam, not just non-Muslims like that. I know some non-Muslims, some Muslim people who claim to be Muslims, but because of what they believe they're non-Muslims, they give what they call zakat to any and every non-Muslim just to be giving it to them so they can be accepted into that community. That's not the zakat of Al-Islam. Take the zakat from their rich, those who have it, 
and distribute it to them, to the Muslims, not to the non-Muslims. And if you give it to the non-Muslim, the description is like the woman you can marry who's not a Muslim. You can marry a woman from Ahlul Kitab, the Yehud, the Yehudiya, or the Nasrat, Christian or the Jew. You can't marry the Sikh, Hindu. In this issue, you can't give zakat to anybody and everybody. You give it to the one who his heart is inclined to Islam and he's interested in Islam. But you don't give it to him at the expense of other Muslims are in need of it before that. Another issue very important about this aspect of the hadith is that the Nabi of Islam, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said in this hadith, take it from their rich and give it to their poor. So we shouldn't send zakat money overseas to Yemen, to Lebanon, to Syria, to Africa. You shouldn't send your zakat overseas. The people who deserve the zakat are the people of your locale because the Prophet said, take it from their rich and give it to their poor. So the people who have the right for the zakat are the people from that locale. But if there are extenuating circumstances, extraordinary circumstances, it's permissible. It's permissible. The man is married to a family. They come from a very poor, his wife's family is very poor back in the country that they come from. He wants to give the zakat to his wife's family. No problem. His family is back in a country where they don't have a lot of money. He's going to give the money to his mother and his father, to his relatives. The zakat that he gives to his relatives is more important than the zakat that he's giving to the people in his own locale. In those circumstances, then it's okay. But if you are a person who doesn't have those dynamics, you don't have people who are poor. You don't have relatives like that. Your wife's relatives are not poor. You don't know people like that. You didn't come from that. You should look right here to give zakat to the people who are right here. And there are a lot of people who need zakat. A lot of people who need zakat here. We don't have enough zakat. People be thinking, they think because we're in the West, we're in Europe, that everybody is taken care of. You should see how it's looking in the Eid al-Fitr. You should see how it is. How many people need help? How many people come for zakat? We never have enough money. Never. None of them are sajid, collectively. But there's a level of responsibility that we have in terms of distributing the zakat out properly. So I want to repeat that to you all, and that is, you should give your zakat to the people who are right here. Unless, as I, get, I told you, you have some extraordinary circumstances that are jumping off. So this is the hadith for today. Uh, as it relates to the fiqh of hadith, we're not going to get into that. Plus, it's almost 11 o'clock. If you brothers have any questions, inshallah, you can put your questions forward now. Tafadr ya akhi kareem. Is it wajib to pray the five prayers in the masjid? The scholars of Islam have ikhtilaf on this issue. Some said that it is wajib and they have their adillah. And the salaf of this ummah used to understand that iqamatul salat, iqamatul salat, the meaning of that is that it has to be done and it should be done in the masjid. But then there are those scholars who took the other position and they said, no, it's not wajib. And they have their adillah. They have their adillah and their proofs. And from them is this hadith. Is this hadith. That the Prophet told her you have to pray five times every day. And he didn't mention the masjid. But that's easily dealt with. So it's an issue that nothing new is going to be introduced into the issue. Everybody comes and reads both sides. And then he takes the position that he feels most comfortable with. And that he believes in. And if he wants to give dawah to that position. The thing about yawning out loud. There's no ikhtilaf. Should you keep your mouth Shut and stop that sound. No ikhtilaf. In this issue of the masjid, salat in the masjid, ikhtilaf. So because it's an ikhtilaf, mu'tabar, ikhtilaf, we understand why it is. No, none of the two sides should be rough and tough. Put your point across, tell why. Put his point across, tell why. And uh, keep it moving. Any more questions, Ikhwani? But I would like to remind those people, even if you believe that making salat in the masjid is wajib during Corona, 
They're still having these restrictions in Corona. And I was listening to the news coming here. They said they may put these restrictions back up on us. And this is why we never took away the social distancing. So we want to keep, let you keep that in your mind. That we're still on the Corona minhaj. Now. As for the people who say like there's communism in Al-Islam and democracy in Al-Islam and there is uh, music in Al-Islam like the Adhan and these kinds of statements like that. If the technical term that's being used is not negative, if it's not negative, no problem. The scholars of Islam, they had a principle, la mashaha fin mustalahat, don't fight over these technical terms. But it's better for us to stay away from that and to stick with the Islamic terms. There's no music in Islam. We're talking about the Adhan is not music. We're talking about democracy, democracy. When the Prophet ﷺ was giving people an opportunity to make a choice, what do you people think we should do? And they give it. That's not democracy. That's not democracy. So those kind of terminology, those terms should be avoided altogether. Altogether. We have Islam and then we have Kufr. And as Allah said in the Quran, فَمَاذَا بَعْضُكَ الْحَقِّ إِلَّا الضَّلَالِ There's this being astray. So we should avoid that altogether. Okay, Khwani, how much time we have for the Adhan? Huh? Okay, then. نَقْتَفِي بِهَذَا الْقَدْرِ هَذَا وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ وَسَلَّمُ مُبَارَكَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّينَ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَأَصْحَابِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.